You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Father, we praise you this morning. We give you glory. Father, because you are worthy of glory. Jesus, you are worthy of glory. Holy Spirit, we submit to you. You are worthy of glory. Worthy of glory and honor and praise. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. This morning when Adam was talking about God living in a tent, I'm sure I heard God say, I like camping. (laughs) He says those things to me sometimes and it just makes me giggle. Charity was talking about the love, the love of God, about his love. I remember one day before I retired, I was driving to Duck Lake um, because I had to go there for a meeting. So I had like 40 minutes to drive and I was driving there and you can turn the house lights on. Um, I was driving to Duck Lake and I turned off the radio and I said to God, I got 40 minutes. And so if there's something you want to say, I'm listening. And so God said to me, believe it or not, he said, pull over. And look up the meaning of anthropomorphism. And I thought, that can't be God. Like, I've never even heard that word before. So I did. I pulled over and I looked it up and it actually is a word. I went, ah, it is God. (laughs) Because I've never heard that word before. So I looked up the meaning and it means to take something human, a human quality, and put it on a non-human thing. So like when Walt Disney made dancing candles, that's an anthropomorphism. Or when he made a singing rat in all the cartoons, that's an anthropomorphism. It's taking something human, putting it on something that isn't human. And so I read that and I went, okay, maybe this wasn't God. (laughs) But then God spoke to me and he said, that's what people do to me. They anthropomorphize my love and they take what what their thoughts of what a loving God should be and they project it onto me And then they get angry when I don't match their thoughts on what the love of God is. And Jerry, when you spoke this morning about the love of God, I thought of that. Because God's not human. We are. And we have our thoughts of what God's love is and what a loving God would and would not do. But to put that onto him and expect him to do what we think he should do is anthropomorphizing God. And and we just need to recognize that God's love is so much bigger than what we think it is. It's so much more than what our minds can comprehend. And then he told me to go home, when I I got home, to take 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter, and read it. But take the word of love out and put God in there. Because God is love. Love is not a character of God. Love is who God is. It's who he is. You can interchange those words. And so I did. And I read it in the Passion Translation, and it changed my life, because there was one, one line in there that says, love does not take failure as defeat, because love never gives up on you. And when you put the word God in there, it's amazing, because God never takes failure as defeat, because God never gives up on you. And, and that really, really changed something in me. So I would encourage you all to do that. 
and I don't think it matters what translation you use, but take 1 Corinthians 13, take the word God out of, take the word love out and put the word God in there because it is interchangeable. And for me, it changed my life. Hopefully it would change yours too. But that's not what I'm talking about today. <laughs> um, last week, Megan spoke on the gifts, some gifts of the Spirit, the revelation gifts. And the word of wisdom was one of the, um, one of the things that she spoke about. And she talked about wisdom being directional and knowledge being informative. And she spoke about the gift of the word of wisdom. I'm not talking about that either. <laughs> I am going to talk about wisdom, though. I'm just not talking about the spiritual gift of wisdom. I'm talking about everyday wisdom to help you live. Everyday wisdom to help you live. I'm going to talk about that for a little bit. In Luke 21, 14 and 15, Jesus said, Don't worry in advance about how to answer charges against you. I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to refute you. That is the gift of the word of wisdom that Megan was talking about last week. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning, he awakens me and opens my understanding to his will. Again, this is a gift of a word of wisdom so that you can comfort somebody else. Those are the gifts of, of the word of wisdom that Megan was talking about. The wisdom for day-to-day -day living is kind of the same. The wisdom is directional on what you have, the knowledge you have, for instance, um, a good example is a mechanic, right? So he goes to school, he learns about how vehicles operate and how they work and how they run. So he has all the knowledge, takes him four years, and then in those four years of going to school, he also works at a shop. So the school gives him the understanding, the shop gives him the wisdom because something will come in. You need to change a ball joint, for instance. He knows how to do that. And the more he does it, he'll learn little tricks to make it work better and make it work easier and make it work quicker. And that's the wisdom that I'm talking about. That is godly wisdom because it's giving you direction on how to do something with the knowledge you already have, the best way to do it. Isaiah 28, 24 to 29. I never knew these verses were in the Bible, but here they are. Does a farmer always plow and never sow? Is he forever cultivating the soil and never planting it? Does he not finally plant his seeds, the black cumin, the cumin, the wheat, the barley, and the emmer wheat, each in its proper way and each in its proper place? The farmer knows just what to do, for God has given him understanding. I had to look up emmer wheat, by the way, because I had no idea what it was. <laughs> um, it is organic wheat, I think. A heavy sledge is never used to thresh black cumin. Rather, it's beaten with a light stick. A threshing wheel is never rolled on cumin. Instead, it's beaten lightly with a flail. Grain for bread is easily crushed, so he doesn't keep pounding it. He threshes it under the wheels of a cart, but he doesn't pulverize it. The Lord of Heaven's armies is a wonderful teacher, and he gives the farmer great wisdom. 
the farmer knows about the plants. He knows what to plant. He knows when to plant it in Saskatchewan so that it comes up and you can harvest it before it freezes. All that is knowledge that the farmer has. The wisdom is that he shows the farmer how to harvest it properly, how to plant it properly so it grows in the right spots, and exactly what to plant where because he knows the plants and knows how they work, how much moisture they need. Some plants will thrive in a drier climate. Some of them need more water. And so the farmer knows which fields are wet and which ones are drier. He knows where to put the plants where to, so that it gives the best harvest. And that's wisdom. That's the wisdom of the Lord. Every time humanity has discovered something amazing and practical applications for it, it's the wisdom of God. When penicillin was discovered, I think it was Madame Curie, was that who discovered that? Anyway, that's the wisdom that God gave to the person who discovered it. And then that would be the knowledge, sorry. The wisdom is when they found practical applications to use it as medicine, to use it to kill infection. And that's from God. That's wisdom from God. Wisdom on how to use the... I forgot what I just said. <laughs> the wisdom on how to use it. How do, you, how, do you, how do you use it? And the beginning of that wisdom is fear of the Lord. Because there's godly wisdom, there is worldly wisdom, um, which are different, which are different things. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and fear of man brings judgment and condemnation. Fear of the Lord brings wisdom. Fear of man will bring judgment and condemnation. Because when you're afraid of what man will say, the reason you're afraid is because you're afraid they're going to condemn you or they're going to criticize you and you're not interested in being criticized by the world. Foolishness, which is ungodly wisdom, usually masquerades as wisdom, by the way. Um, and you need the Spirit of God to show you what is His wisdom and what is not. You can use the Bible. If it's something that's clearly directed in the Bible not to do, well then, and you think you should do it, then you have a pretty good idea that that's foolishness, that's not the Spirit of God. But there are things that arise in our life that are hard to find in the Bible as to what to do here or what, what, what to do with that. Um, and those are the things that we need to go to God and get the wisdom of God for that situation in our lives. And sometimes the, wisdom, the difference between the wisdom of God and foolishness is your attitude. Really. Because godly wisdom always points to the cross. It's always about Jesus. Worldly wisdom always points to yourself, and it's all about you. So you can do the exactly same thing from two different attitudes, and one is godly and one is worldly. One will work and one will not. So a good example is, because I want to be practical, let's say you want to buy a truck, like I just did. I bought one a few, a few months ago. But So you, you look at it, and it's a good deal, and it looks like it's in really good shape. And so you decide to buy it. But if you're buying it so that God can have glory, and God says, go ahead and do it, it's godly wisdom, it'll work fine. If you buy the truck because you want to look good when you drive down the street, 
um, it's not godly wisdom. And the, and, the, and the two will be the exact same actions, but your attitude will be a difference between foolishness and God's wisdom. And so we really need the Holy Spirit to show us because every situation is going to be different. And the situation for me and you might be exactly the same, but completely different because we're different people. We really, really need to hear the Holy Spirit tell us which way to go. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I spent years of my life trying to figure out what is the fear of the Lord because I went into the Hebrew and the Greek, and it basically means terror. And I couldn't figure out how a loving God would want me to be terrified of him, but we're supposed to fear the Lord. And um, I spent a long time trying to figure out what that is. And then one day, God showed me he showed me that I had pride. And I think some of you have heard this story before, but for those of you who haven't. And um, when God showed me I had pride, the very first thought in my head was, well, that's really petty. Because God showed me that I had pride about saying yes to him. I was proud of the fact that I said yes when other people did not. And I thought, well, that's kind of petty, really. That was the first thought in my head. The second thought was, if God said it, it's not petty. And so I had this fight that was going on inside of me. And I was struggling with, with, with the whole thing. And I repented of the pride and I repented of the struggle going on inside of me because I, I knew clearly that if God said it, it's not petty. But in my heart, I felt it was silly. And, and so at Christmas time, I think it was... I get years mixed up, but I think it was last Christmas, almost a year ago. I was walking through this building. And I went downstairs. It was Christmas Day. Nobody's here. Lights are all off. Me and my flashlight. I kind of like doing that. Anyway, <laughs> I'm kind of weird sometimes, but I like going through rooms with flashlights. I saw my dad doing it the other day, and I thought, that's where I got it from. Anyway, um, and I get into one room, then the lights are turned on. That one room, the lights are on. And I walked into that room, and I knew there was evil in the room. I knew there was a demonic spirit there. I could feel it. The hair on the back of my neck stood up. The, it, I just knew I was in the presence of something bad. And so I just told it to get lost, to go in the name of Jesus, and it left. It was gone. But I'm struggling with this petty versus God's wisdom about my pride and the foolishness that says, that's petty. So I'm, I'm, I'm struggling between these two things. And I'm not sleeping because the struggle is real. And so I've been up for, for 48 hours and I've slept for three in the 48 hours because I'm, I'm struggling with this. And, and I know what is right, but I don't feel what is right. And I'm trying to get it out of my heart and it's not going. And, um, and then I went to... Um, uh, in the morning, I go and I check the boilers for CRC at CRC, the Canadian Revival Center. So I was there, and I was standing between two boilers. And there was another evil spirit showed up right beside me. I could see what he looked like. He was wearing a black hoodie, went from his head to his feet. I couldn't see facial features. And again, I told it to get lost. Poof, it was gone. It left. And then, and then Satan said to me, he said, I put that pride in your heart, and... I can put it back there anytime I want, and you will never know it's there. You are mine, you just don't know it. And I can have you anytime I want you. 
That's what he said to me. And um, I just broke down at that point. I could not fight it anymore. I've been fighting for only two days. Um, and I just broke down and I gave up. And then God spoke up and said, go home and go to sleep. Go home, go to sleep. You haven't slept for two days. So I went home and I went to sleep. And when I woke up, everything was fine. It was gone. It was not in my heart anymore. But I spent two days um, with evil in my heart and I could not do anything about it. I could not get rid of it. And it's not that God had abandoned me because those two evil spirits left when I told them to go and it wasn't because I'm anything special. It was only because of the power of God with me. And so I knew he was with me, but he had, I didn't feel his presence. I didn't feel him with me. It's like he took his hand off of me, but just walked around with me to make sure nothing really bad happened. And I realized the terror of living that way forever. Living without God, with living without the presence of God, living without the grace of God. Everything good is from God. The Bible says everything good comes from the Father of lights. The air, we, 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 we wake up alive is only because God has deemed that we will wake up alive. When we have air to breathe, only because God has made sure that there is air here for us to breathe. We are alive only because of God. Everything we have that's good is only because of Him. So take that away. And what do you have left? You are abandoned to Satan. To, for him to do to you whatever he wants to do. And that is a terrifying thought. So for me, the fear of the Lord is knowing that if he really wanted to, he could pull his hand off of me and abandon me completely. But he doesn't. But he doesn't because he loves us way too much to do that. But the fear of the Lord for me probably for most of us, is the terror of living life without God and being abandoned completely to the enemy. And his love doesn't let him do that because he loves us all. He's adopted us all. We are all part of his family. But that is the beginning of wisdom, knowing that if God takes his hand off of us, we are hooped. That's the beginning of wisdom. Fear of man is the fear of living without the world. Oh, let me back up a bit. Fear of the Lord is fear of living without him. Knowledge that he can remove his grace anytime he wants to. Fear of man is fear of living without the world. And the knowledge that accepting God means turning your back on the world. So it's basically you can love the world or you love God. And, you, and both of them will have their own wisdom, but some of it's godly wisdom and some of it is not. Worldly wisdom always points to self. Colossians 2, 2 and 3. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. And in him lies the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is all hidden at the cross. Godly wisdom is all found at the cross because without Jesus shedding his blood, we're in the old covenant, like Adam said, we're watching God live in a tent, wondering what in the world he's thinking and what he wants to do. But with the blood of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. God, for some reason, has decided to live in us. And he will give us the wisdom to live our life every day and make the right choices. He's pretty cool. Wisdom is only found at the cross. Is only found at the cross. 
And wisdom begins in recognizing that only through God we find wisdom. Proverbs 9, 10 to 12. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are mocker, you alone will suffer. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Knowing that wisdom is God's to give to us as he sees fit. Really knowing that is the beginning of wisdom, is the beginning of getting wisdom. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. If you need wisdom, ask your generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith in God is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettling as the wave of the sea and blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything you do. When you ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. Be sure that you are believing that wisdom comes only from God. It doesn't come a little bit from God and a little bit from Confucius and a little bit from the Koran and a little bit from Hollywood. Wisdom always comes from God. And it's pretty easy to pick up all that other stuff, especially if you watch a movie once in a while, it's pretty easy to pick up the wisdom of Hollywood. And, and not even kind of realize that it's there and it just kind of grows until God shows you and you get rid of it or until it affects your life. But if we understand that wisdom only comes from God, we really know that, then we'll be teachable. Then when the wisdom from God makes no sense to us, we can go to God and say, okay, God, it makes no sense to me. So I wanna, I, I, I will admit that my way is wrong even though it makes the most sense to me but I'm gonna go with your way. I'm gonna go with what you told me to do. And I believe that God will show, God will teach you. God will show you the wisdom that you need for every situation in life. But we have to be careful that we're looking at it only from God. Because when we look at it from all the different angles and all the different things the world offers, we're gonna be wondering which way to go and we'll get confused. Well, well should we do this? should we do that um, but I won't go there <laughs> Ecclesiastes 7 23 25 we'll go here this is this is Solomon so Proverbs is when Solomon was a young man Ecclesiastes are Proverbs that Solomon wrote when he was an old man and you can tell the difference between the two he didn't end very very well and here's why. This is Solomon talking. I have always tried my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. I said to myself, I am determined to be wise, but it didn't work. Wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. I searched everywhere, determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and foolishness is madness. What Solomon did is he started looking for wisdom everywhere not just with God. In 1 Kings chapter 3, the first few verses, it talks about Solomon right after he becomes king. And he, he goes to God and makes this huge offering. And then he fell asleep. And God came to him in a dream. 
And he said, what do you want? I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, I don't know how to rule these people. There's so many of them. And who can rule these people? I really need wisdom so I can rule these people properly. And he woke up. No, before he woke up, God said, you got it. I'll give it to you. But I'll also give you what you didn't ask for. I will give you riches and I will give you, I'll give you wealth. Because you didn't ask for that, I'll give it to you anyway. But I will give you the wisdom. And he became the wisest man in the world. People from all over the world went to Solomon to get his wisdom. The queen of Sheba went to Solomon and was absolutely amazed. And she said, a servant in the house of Solomon is wiser than the kings in the rest of the world. Is what she left saying. So God gave him what he asked for. But then he started searching for wisdom. As he grew older, he started searching for wisdom in all the other places. Said he searched everywhere for wisdom. It wasn't just with God. So he kept what God gave him, but then tried to add from all the other gods and all the other wisdoms. In the end, you, you read Ecclesiastes and you read, him, you, you read him writing, everything is vain. Nothing is worth it. It doesn't matter. You're going to die at the end anyway, so what's the use? That's where all the worldly wisdom left Solomon. And so we have to ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to us. But we have to be very careful that we are willing to be taught, right? And we are willing to listen to, the, to God. Foolishness, on the other hand, is going to put you in a rough spot because it will never work out. I was at my, it was the last long weekend we were at Brian's place, March. I was at my brother's place. One, I woke up one morning, I couldn't sleep. It was like two in the morning and I'm laying awake all night and I'm trying to pass the time. I'm playing games on the iPad. I'm reading the news. I went to Facebook and scrolled through Facebook. I, I'm just trying to fall asleep somehow. And I finally said to God, I said, can you just put me to sleep? Like, can you just give me some sleep? I got a seven-hour drive tomorrow, and I'm not sleeping. And God said to me, well, I'm trying to show you something. I went, oh, all right then. <laughs> and I sat there for another two hours waiting for God to show me what he was trying to show me, and he said nothing. And I, the sun come up, we got up, we had breakfast, we went home, and God sustained me through the seven-hour drive. We got home, and I was fine until I got home, and then I just went... <laughs> crashed but I've been struggling with something but at my brother's place the struggle wasn't there I got home and within three hours there was a struggle again and 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 God said this is what I'm trying to show you it's what you're struggling with is a spiritual problem it's not a physical problem you really need to battle this spiritually and so I said oh Okay, I'm down for that. I'll just go fight it. I'll just use your authority and go do it. And I thought, who am I fighting? <laughs> what do I call it? Like, okay, God, how do I address this thing? What do I do? How do I fight this thing? And I'm wondering what it is. What spiritual thing am I, am I fighting? So um, I opened the Bible that day, and I'm reading through the Bible in a year. I got, went to U, U version and found a plan, a chronological plan. I'm just reading from the front to the end in a year. So the reading for that, that day was in Proverbs. Um, Proverbs chapter 9. And that day I was reading it in the Passion Translation. 
And at the bottom of the chapter, in big black letters, it says, the spirit of foolishness. And God said, that's what you're fighting. I went, oh, I've never heard of that before. <laughs> that's not something I've ever heard of. Um, so it is Proverbs chapter 9, 13 to 18. And we'll read it out the New Living Translation first. The woman named Folly is brash. She's ignorant, doesn't know it. She sits in her doorway at the heights overlooking the city. She calls out to men going by who are minding their own business. Come with me, she says, the simple. Those who lack good judgment, she says, stolen water is refreshing, food eaten in secret tastes the best. But little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of the grave. This is the way the Passion Translation said it. There's a spirit named Foolish who is boisterous and brash. She's seductive and restless. There she sits at the gateway to the high places, her throne overlooking the city. The gateway to the high places, by the way, were gateways to worship. There she sits at the gateway of high places and her throne overlooking the city. She preaches to all who walk by her who are careless or clueless as to what is happening. Come home with me, she invites those who are easily led astray, saying, illicit sex is the best sex of all. Our secret affair will be sweeter than all the others. Little do they know that when they answer her call, she dwells among the spirits of the dead, and all her guests will soon become citizens of hell. The spirit of foolishness is more than just something silly. It is more than something silly. The spirit of foolish will, foolishness will take what is wise and twist it so that it seems wrong. And it'll take what is unwise, the worldly wisdom, and twist it so that it seems right in your mind. And then it kills you. Which made me think of April Fool's Day, but <laughs> um, I'm not gonna go on a tirade against April Fool's Day. It's, but any, anyway, um, foolishness will kill you in the end if you, if you follow it. Because it'll take what is godly and what is just, and it will twist it to say, no, you can do this over here, and God doesn't mind, because he still loves you, right? He still forgives you. You can do this rotten thing over here. But what it doesn't tell you is that that rotten thing will lead you, will lead you to hell. It'll lead you to the point, if you follow it long enough, it will kill you, because the wages of sin is death. So the obvious analogy here is because it was talking about illicit sex is the best sex of all. When you get to the point when you look at somebody who is not your spouse and you desire them so bad that you feel it in the middle of your chest, it's foolishness. And you want that so bad that you will do whatever it takes to get that and you go after it. That's twisting what God says about being true to your spouse and twisting it, saying, everybody does it, you can do it, you know? And, and Hollywood will preach that a lot. Foolishness will twist God's wisdom so that it's not God's wisdom anymore. And we need to be really careful because it attacks you in your mind. It's a thinking, it's a mindset. And we have to, we have to be careful of that. Isaiah chapter 19, 13 and 14. The officials of Zone are fools and the officials of Memphis are deluded. The leaders of the people have led Egypt astray. The Lord has sent a spirit of foolishness on them, so all their suggestions are wrong. They cause Egypt to stagger like a drunkenness vomit. The spirit of foolishness will lead you to what is wrong. 
And the only way we know the difference is the Holy Spirit within us. And that's why it's so important to have him and to listen to him and to follow your heart. If you want something and in your heart you think, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, then don't do it. I mean, God gave us a conscience for a reason. The more you follow foolishness, the more your conscience gets, the Bible calls it seared. But if, you, if you're praying and, if, and if, if you love God and if you're working for God and if you're chasing after godly wisdom, you can trust your conscience. If it says something is wrong, don't do it, even if it seems right. Because the spirit of foolishness is designed to make all your suggestions, all God's suggestions look wrong and all of the world's suggestions look right. So then, obvious question is how do world how do we get this wisdom? How do we get to the point where we can hear God and put this wisdom into our life? The first thing we need to do is ask God. Ask God for the wisdom. We need to admit to God that our wisdom is no good, which means repenting. The word repenting basically means turn the other direction and walk the other way. That's what repent means. So to con confess our sins and to repent doesn't mean to confess our sins and go do it again. It means to confess our sins, make a decision to turn the other way and walk the other way and not, not do it anymore. That's what repent means. It, there's an there's a, there's a attitude towards repentance in the fact that I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to live for God. And, and then there's, sometimes there's a process we have to work through to get there. Um, and we're all on that road. We're all on the road of correcting the worldly wisdom and the foolishness out of our minds. And we're all at different places, and we just have to trust God. The cool thing about God is that he will cover your foolishness if it's an honest mistake. You know, he'll either walk you through the results of it, or he will, if you're a very young Christian, you just get saved, and you know nothing, and you make so many mistakes, the God's grace is so cool. You know, and as we grow in the Lord, God expects us to grow up a little bit and grow up a little bit. But when we grow up and we still make a mistake, because we will, we're human, then God will cover that if we repent and turn our minds to go the other direction and do the best we can to go the other way. James, we're back to James 1 again. We'll read the same verses. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He won't rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. If you need wisdom, and we all do, we just need to go to God and ask for it. Go to God and ask for it. Every morning I get up and I get in my truck and I drive down the road and I say to God, I reject foolishness in my mind and in my life, and I want to be possessed by the spirit of wisdom. And I just ask God for it. And a and little bit, a little bit, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, God will remove the foolishness from our minds as we walk with him. So the first thing is to ask for it. And Isaiah 30, verse 20 and 21 says, He will be with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, This is the way you should go, whether to the left or to the right. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's in Isaiah 30. And that's such a cool verse because as we're wondering which way to go, left or to the right. Have you ever been driving down the road and you're going on your normal way to work or wherever to church, wherever you go, and suddenly you decide to take a different route today? Godly wisdom. Godly wisdom. It just 
you just feel you should go a different route or to stop and talk to somebody. Or you see someone on the side of the road and, and you stop to help them. It's godly wisdom that nudges you to do that. And then, and then the godly wisdom can very easily turn into a word of wisdom that Megan talked about last week and how you can minister to that person God stops on the other side of the road to talk to. The second thing you can do is read. Wisdom comes from God. And the Bible is God's wisdom in writing. The Bible tells us who God is. It tells us how he thinks. It tells us what he gets angry at. It tells us what he loves. And he loves you, by the way, just in case you didn't know. Um, it's interesting that there are 31 chapters in Proverbs and 31 days in half the provinces and 30 days in provinces. Months. <laughs> Whatever that came from. God, is that you? Um, uh, anyway, um, so... I mean, I don't read a chapter of Proverbs every day, but probably once a week, I'll just take whatever day it is and go to that chapter and read it. If it's the 15th, I'll go to the 15th chapter and read it. And I know most of you have heard this and know this before, but um, just to read it, just to gain some wisdom. Psalm 19, 7 to 9, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are clear, giving instruction for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting, and forever. The laws of the Lord are true, and each one are fair. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. Godly wisdom. We wait for his instructions, and, and sometimes we just wait for his nudging. If, if, if we're faced with a situation, we've got to make a snap decision. I have to trust the Spirit of God in me and do what I feel is the right thing to do. I don't wait for, you know, a blinding light or a... Go left. You know? <laughs> um, I have to trust the Spirit of God inside of me and go where my heart is leading me. And many times that is, is God. Is God. And if it's not, lots of times I'll, I'll say to God, well, I'm going to go this way because I'm not hearing you tell me anything because that's where I want to go. So if you don't want me to go there, you better say something because I'm on my way. I do that often, um, and most times God says nothing, and because my heart and my desire is to do what God wants me to do, and so I have to trust that what I want to do is what God wants me to do, and so I just move that way. The Lord's instructions are perfect, and what the most, one of the most important things, they're all important, is we need to repent. All of God's wisdom is found at the cross. We need to repent for thinking foolish thoughts. We need to repent for ungodly wisdom. You need to acknowledge that your ways are not right if they're different from what God says. Only God's ways are correct. I read John, John Piper one time. I read an article he wrote, and he said, if you come across something in the Bible that is completely different than what you believe, you have to take what you believe and put it on the shelf and go with the Bible because it's God's word. It's not wrong. You can't read the Bible and try and twist it to what you want it to say. Because that's foolishness. You know, we have to, we have to read it with, with the attitude of, if it's different than what I believe, I need to change what I believe. And that's, that's wisdom. Proverbs 14, 12, and 13, I'm almost done. There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the grief is still there. The grief remains. 
there is a path that seems right. And if it's not God's path, it's wrong, even if it seems right. Solomon acknowledged that he couldn't rule the people by himself, that he needed the wisdom of God. God gave it to him. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. I, wanna, I just want to end with a story. Have you ever heard of, anybody ever heard of Seeger Wheeler? Anybody ever heard of that guy? I believe he was a biologist. I think he had a degree in biology. He lived in the 30s here in Saskatchewan, down by Rostern, I think. And you can actually go there. They have his farm there, and you can go. There's a little video you can watch. Seeger, Seeger Wheeler invented windrows. Anybody know what a windrow is? Yep. A windrow is like a row of trees to stop the wind from blowing the dirt away, blowing the topsoil away. So in the 30s, when everybody's farm was being blown to the neighbors, Seeger Wheeler decided he would plant trees and make a windrow to stop the wind and to stop the dirt. And everybody does that now. But when Seeger Wheeler did it, he was the very first guy to do it in the 30s. It was God's wisdom was plant those trees and you'll keep your farm. And he was a biologist, so he had the knowledge. So God's wisdom for him was to put that knowledge into practice and build the trees. And he was criticized and condemned by everybody because they said the trees will suck, the, suck all the water out of the dirt and you'll get not a plant, not a thing. And Seeger Wheeler planted the trees. Here's the interesting thing. All through the 30s, when no one had a crop, Seeger Wheeler had bountiful crops because God told them to plant the trees, which made no sense because they're going to suck up all the water and the dirt. But God told them to do it, and he did it, and he always had a crop. No one else in the area did. And then they got angry at him because he had crops and they didn't. I, I, and the story is just to show that sometimes the wisdom of God will hurt. Sometimes it won't be fun because there'll be persecution for doing the wisdom of God. Sometimes gaining, gaining the wisdom is at great personal cost. You know, but he had a farm. He never went broke. He had crops all the time because he did what God wanted him to do with the trees. And that is the wisdom of God. And now everybody does it. Everybody, everybody in Saskatchewan plants windrows, I think. I don't know of a farm that doesn't. That was the wisdom of God given to Seeger Wheeler at that time for his prosperity. Actually, God gave it to him for the whole province, but nobody listened. So the wisdom of God is there for us to use for everyday things, everyday things. Father, we thank you this morning for everything you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the wisdom that you give us to walk through this life. Thank you, Lord, for your understanding, first of all, and then the wisdom so that we can put that understanding to work so it can do what you want it to do. Father, we repent forever doing foolishness. Father, show us where our minds have entertained foolishness because I'm pretty sure every one of us has some of it there somewhere. Show us where it is, Lord, so that we can give it to you and change the way we think because we want to think as per your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for living in us, showing us, talking to us, gently nudging us, and loving us when we screwed up. Father, it is so good, so good to follow you and serve you. Amen. Just before we go, um, Robert McCallum came to me this morning. He had a close friend pass away in Saskatoon yesterday. She fell down a week ago or so, and 
she passed away and he asked if we would pray. So I'm just going to pray. Her name is Crystal Morasti. Father, I thank you for your love and your care and your protection. Father, I just pray for the family, for Crystal's family. I pray that you would go into that room, the room where that family is, and that you would comfort them. Father, that Holy Spirit, that you would be the comforter, that you would be able to be the comforter that you are. Just comfort them, help them to know how much you love them. Glorify yourself in this situation. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a situation of pain, but you are the master at healing that. And so, Father, I thank you for the Morasti family. I thank you, Father, that they will look to you and that, Holy Spirit, you would move among them and give them the comfort they need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Adam? Oh, Megan? <laughs> Megan's closing. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.